So Cassie, some big news coming out of the post this this uh, week, this past Monday. Jim Nugent had a column on the USGA backing off of its requirement to have two mid-amateurs be on the Walker Cup team, elicited some strong responses from some of the uh, past mid-am players on the team and some potential ones. Uh, Patrick Kristovich commented on it. Um, we, we've had a few mid-ams co- uh, comment on it. What were your thoughts when you uh, when you saw that column? I was always really skeptical of this, Sean. Um, it never really made much sense to me since there were always so many good amateur players or college players out there that could earn spots on the team over these mid-amateurs. You know, it worked out, but it really hasn't. In 2013, Todd White, Nathan Smith, they earned that clinching putt um, out on Long Island. But then in 2015, the two mid-ams, um, they really only earned one point overseas between Scott Harvey and who was the other mid-am on that team? Uh, Mike McCoy. Lost, oh, Mike uh, McCoy, correct. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so Mike McCoy and I I don't know, I just wasn't I, I've never really felt felt that they deserved it, but I I, I don't know. It's kind of a toss up for me. How, what are your feelings? Well, usually we're in agreement on issues, but uh, I'm going to I'm going to take the other uh, other side of this. Um, okay. I kind of get what you're saying, you know, the US should send their best team to the Walker Cup. I think everyone's kind of in agreement that you want to send your best players, and I know that that's normally going to be college players are going to be our strongest uh, strongest assets. And and of course this year I think there probably will be two mid-ams that make the team. I think Stuart Hagstad probably secured his spot with the Masters with how he played and I think Scott Harvey will also make that team. But I think there should be mid-amateur representation. I think there should be a requirement to have at least two of them there. I think that's part of the spirit of the game is having players that are a little bit older be able to participate in it and you know play well and, and be a part of the Walker Cup. Um, both the past couple of years where the requirements been a, a part of the Walker Cup, you know, it didn't affect the outcome either way. They played well. The mid-amateurs played well in 2013, but they would have won without them. And the amateurs played, mid-amateurs played poorly in 2015, and they would have lost whether they had two college players or two other players on the team regardless. So I think, I mean, there are so many strong mid-amateurs out there. You, you have to be able to find two to be able to represent your team. I, that, that's my opinion. But I think it goes back to where you, where you said that you want to field your best team. And mm-hmm. I think going back to 2015 is a prime example when, you know, Derek Bard had made it to the finals of the U.S. Amateur against Bryson DeChambeau and Denny McCarthy. Um, he was playing well all summer. He had won the Porter Cup. He finished well um, at other various amateur tournaments. And they were teammates at the University of Virginia. But Denny didn't. Denny McCarthy didn't make it as far as he really should have or wanted to in the U.S. Um, amateur to really secure that spot. And Derek Bard had made it all the way to the finals. Mm-hmm. And if he had won, sure, he was going to get put on the team and take that spot away from his University of Virginia teammate. But at the same time, like, wouldn't you want both of those players that are playing extremely well over the summer and then take them overseas and have them perform well on your Walker Cup team? I don't yeah, know. No, that's no, just, that's I just my saying. opinion. Yeah, no, I understand. I just think that with all the mid-am competitions that go on throughout the country, a lot of people don't really see this and we don't focus on it. You know, when we talk about amateur golf, we talk about the uh, the bigger competitions. You know, we talk about the Coleman and the Transmiss and we talk about all those tournaments throughout the year. And I think, you know, it should be selected on on those tournaments. But we also have a bunch of mid-amateur competitions that we don't really 
talk about that much. Um, we cover it in the post, but they're not really well known throughout the country. And I mean, the competition level is very high in, in, in those in those competitions. A lot of them are team competitions, but I think play should be rewarded for, you know, playing really well against other mid-amateurs and being able to represent the game. I mean, the amateur game itself is really, it's a conglomerate of, of, you know, many different ages and people. And, you know, one of the great parts about golf is that you can play it when you're 80, you can play it when you're 90, you can play it when you're older. And, uh, not that these mid-amateurs are, are really at that old. I mean, Stuart Hagstad's only in his mid-20s, but, you know, I think it's still kind of a good representation. It's not just a college team that we're, we're putting out in the Walker Cup. But, you know, I'm, I'm cool either way. I'm cool either way. I guess it has to be a agree to a disagree with, with <laughs> us. I think this is the first time. This is the first time. We should we should disagree more often. Mix, mix I for, think we should. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's jump right into our winners of the week. Um, talking about a young stud who's played really well this entire year, Wesley Bryan won at the RBC Heritage at Hilton Head, the first South Carolinian to ever win that event in its 49-year history. That was a, a really cool finish to that event. He was uh, interviewed after the round on CBS and spoke quite candidly, maybe a little bit too candidly, about how he felt on 17 tee, throwing up in his mouth a little bit. Well, I mean, that's probably what you or I would be doing if we were in that situation, right? <laughs> Absolutely. But I love the honesty honesty from him. It's it's very refreshing, I would say. Yeah, I, I love Wes. Uh, you know, he's played really well this year, a couple of top fives in L.A. and at Honda, uh, you know, has played well throughout the entire year. This was coming, and, uh, you know, obviously he played really well on the Web.com Tour last year, winning three events and getting the promotion. So it was just it was a matter of time. Good on him. Very nice. On the European tour, it was Eduardo Molina who picked up his first win since the, since 2010 when he made a par in the first playoff hole against Paul Dunn at the Trophy Hassan tournament. It was the 36-year-old Italian's third European tour title. And later on in the show, we're going to talk to John Steinbrader shortly about his trip to Morocco and this European tour event. So excited to bring him on in a bit. Yeah, can't wait to hear about some stories that Steiny has. He always has the best stories. So looking forward to that. And uh, over in Hawaii at the Lottie Championship, Christy Kerr likely secured her place in the Hall of Fame. That's that's my opinion. Uh, I, I think really with all that she's accomplished in Solheim Cups and, and the, the tournaments that she's won, this probably got her into the Hall of Fame. It also got her up to number 18 in the world. So congratulations on that, rising up eight spots. Uh, six under 66 in the final round, outpaced Lydia Ko, great leaderboard there in Hawaii. Uh, the LPGA has had a uh, very uh, exciting year, sometimes chaotic, sometimes controversial, but exciting nonetheless, and uh, it's a good product right now. And good storylines and gives us something to talk about, so that's always, that's always nice. Uh, Stephen Ames scorched TPC Sugarloaf to win the Mitsubishi Electric Classic, 15 under 201, over 54 holes. It was the 52-year-old's, 52-year-old Canadian's first PGA Tour champions victory. So good on him. Yeah, absolutely. Had a nice career in the PGA Tour. Won the Players Championship, of course, and now he's uh, he's on the board in the Champions Tour. And now we are once again joined by Global Golf Post travel editor and senior writer John Steinbrader, who just returned to the European Tours Trophy Hassan in Morocco. Steiny, it's been a long 19 days for you going from Augusta, Georgia, for the Masters, all the way to Morocco. How is your body clock treating you right now? It's 
to a little, uh, it's not treating me too well, although I take uh, much better care of myself on the road than I used to in terms of staying out late and uh, doing that whilst uh, traveling, but it's been a long stretch, but a great stretch. Uh, the Masters is wonderful, uh, some wonderful golf down there in, in Morocco. I made my ninth trip to Morocco uh, for the uh, Trophy Hassan as well as the Lala Merum Cup and uh, had a great time over there. Uh, terrific golf, a terrific setting, and uh, I'm tired, but uh, and I'm happy to be home, but uh, I sure had a lot of fun. Stiney, you've been all over the world. How does Morocco hold up as a, uh, a travel destination, both on and off of their golf courses? Well, you know, strictly um, as a travel destination, it's one of the best. It's one of my favorite countries in the world. Uh, it's a tolerant, interesting, exotic uh, Islamic country, but with um, a real Western bent to it. There's a, a great deal of diversity there. It's uh, people in fezes and jalabas and chadors, some very traditional dress, as well as people in pierka dan suits and miniskirts and stiletto heels and blue jeans and t-shirts. So it's a real a melding in, in, uh, of cultures uh, that make it very exciting. The terrain the land there geographically, it's so interesting. You think of it as being a desert country as uh, people have a tendency of, of seeing a lot of the uh, Arab world and North Africa in that light, but it's, I was up in mountains at 6,000 feet in the mountains when I was there. There are huge uh, swaths of fruit, fruit orchards. There's incredible olive groves. Uh, there's snow in some of the mountains that you can still see even this time of year. There's great skiing there, believe it or not. The beaches are unbelievable. Uh, it's a very rich and vibrant land as far as that goes as well. And they've had a pretty rainy winter. So in the areas I was around the capital city of Rabat and then to the east to the ancient Roman city of Alubilis and Afran up in the mountains in the Atlas Mountains. And then the, the great uh, ancient imperial city of Fez, which has, if not the oldest university in the world, one of the oldest, having started in the uh, 8th century, early 8th century. It's, it's just a, a place that satisfies all the uh, senses for uh, a traveler and it also happens to have about 40 golf courses now too with a very temperate climate and designers like Jack Nicklaus and um, and Gary Player and others building golf courses over there and it's it's, it's a terrific travel destination and an interesting travel destination and, and a damn good golf destination as well. We are familiar with the kind of golf played in the UK or Australia, where it is more of a ground game than it normally is in the United States. What play is pre prevalent in Morocco? Now, that's a really good question, Cassie, because uh, uh, there's a lot of seaside courses uh, that are being built right now. I've, I've played a couple uh, just north of the Kyle Phillips course, just north of the Agadir when I was there most recently. Uh, there's one south of uh, Rabat called Mazagdan, uh, Mazagan, I guess it is, at the Gary Player course. It's right on the water. So you've got some places where you have uh, the seaside setting with the seaside winds and the opportunities to run balls up into the green. Of course, the difference there is that the turf is not, it's not fescue grass, it's not link style turf, so the ball doesn't run on the ground quite as much. But overall, I'd say it's, it's more of a parkland style golf that you find in Morocco, especially around Marrakech, which is an inland city and has got a lot of, you know, a city on, uh, near the edge of the desert, near the Atlas Mountains with a lot of sort of palm groves and oases. Uh, that place is more of a Parkland's golf style. And the courses where 
the um, the uh, Trophy Hassan were held and the Lala Merrim Cup were held are both at the Royal Dar Salaam Golf Club in Rabat. Those are designed by Robert Trenton's senior and they're more Parkland style golf courses as well. So I'd say the vast majority of them are more Parklands like, but there are some opportunities to play some seaside when you're there. John, I want to get into your article on Paul Dunn, a young man who we all remember from the 2015 Open Championship at St. Andrews when he was in that final pairing on Sunday, faltered there, shot a 78 in the final round. Take us through where he has come from that moment to now finishing second this past week and really developing as a person and as a player. Well, you know, he was wonderful to talk to, and he had a funny tournament, as, as I discussed in some of my uh pieces there that he had lost his luggage or he did not lose it the airlines lost it and so the first three days he played with clothes he bought in in robot uh, none of which bore the logos of his sponsors which is kind of an odd situation but um, he managed to still play very well he was leading by two strokes after 54 holes uh, and then he, he you know he played pretty well on Sunday but uh, Molinar, Eduardo uh, Molinar just played fantastic. He uh, went birdie eagle twice on the back nine on Sunday and uh, managed to tie Paul and then win uh, and won a whole playoff. But Paul's only 24 years old. He you know, really burst upon the scene with that performance in the 2015 Open Championship. I mean, something that was just remarkable. He was tied, shot 66 in the third round of the Open Championship and was tied for the lead with, uh, you know, Ustahuzen from uh, South Africa and Jason Day. I mean, can you imagine that? And then he turned pro, you know, played in the Walker Cup that uh, fall, turned pro. And, you know, we talked about it. It was difficult for him. He had a, had a really good uh, first pro tournament at the uh, the Dunhill Links Trophy. And then he just struggled. And one of the main reasons he struggled was is he was a kid who was used to traveling on the road with his team. He's an amateur golfer. He went to the University of Alabama at Birmingham. And all of a sudden, and this happens, as you all know, a lot of times, you know, these youngsters go on uh, the tour. They're living in hotel rooms by themselves or traveling in airports and uh, train stations by themselves. And it's just a much tougher proposition for these really young kids. And uh, he struggled with that by his own admission. And so now he's starting to come back. He's playing well, very happy with his form, as he described it. And uh, he's had a good year. He's had a top 10 finish earlier in the year uh, in a tournament in the European Tour. It's now his, his highest finish ever in the European Tour. He feels his game is in really good shape. He's still only 24 years old. And my thinking, it's just a matter of time before he, he you know, he takes a, takes a tournament and, and, and wins a couple of them because he's got a terrific game, a great attitude, and uh, he really showed a lot of heart this past weekend. Danny, you briefly mentioned how the airline lost his luggage and um, he had to apologize to his sponsors, but this isn't exactly what players normally apologize for their to their sponsors for. Do you think it was necessary <laughs> for him to do that? Not at all. I just think he's, he's just that kind of a kid and he appreciates it and he's, he's very charming and, and very open. And um, I just liked it. I, I, I liked him. Uh, it was a refreshing air about him in that and in, in the honesty with which he spoke about his loneliness on the tour last year. And it's, I think, feeling genuinely bad uh, uh, with his, instead of having a, a shirt with Bank of Ireland and Peter Millar on it, you know, he had a shirt that had an Ike logo on it that he had bought in some clothing store in the capital of, of, of Morocco. So I don't think he had to do it. I just think that's just the kind of kid he is. 
Steiny, these young players like Dunn playing on the European Tour or the PGA Tour, how are they different now than they were 20 or 30 years ago? Because to me, they kind of seem more mature. They're more ready to kind of come out right right away and win. That could be a burden on some of them to have that expectation of, you know, I need to play well right away. Well, I do think a lot of these guys grow up fast, don't they, Sean? I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's amazing to see. He's, what, 22 years old when he – he, he did so well at the Open Championship. And uh, so in some ways, they're super mature as golfers, but they're still, I think, I don't want to say immature in a bad way, but they're still very young as people and as individuals. So it's a, it's a challenge for them. I mean, I think look at Peter Uline, the American, who's a great golfer and uh, won the U.S. Amateur, uh, went out in the European Tours, went out on the European Tour once, but has had some injury problems and has not probably done quite as well as maybe he'd like to do. It's a tough road out there. Uh, I think in the old days, these guys helped each, other's out, helped each other out because they would all go out to dinner together. I remember being in Morocco in the mid-90s and you know, at the end of the day, we'd, you know, cover some of these tournaments, European tour events. We'd all go out to dinner, the players, a couple of the caddies, a couple of the writers, and, and we'd have a good time. And there'd be this movable feast of 20 or 25 people having dinner at three or four different tables at a restaurant. And there was a real camaraderie there. And I, I don't know that that exists quite as much as it used to. So I think while these kids are a lot more developed and matures in terms of equipment and how their equipment fits, uh, in terms of their, their own uh, physical fitness, in terms of, you know, uh, working with uh, head doctors and their, you know, mental coaches to try to get strong in that regard. Um, I think all of that's going on, but I don't know that the same sort of camaraderie exists as it used to on the tour out there with these younger guys because, um, you know, it's people more serious now, people more dedicated. They're not going out and eating, drinking, and having a good time. They're going to the range, they're going to the gym, and I think it's a little bit lonelier uh, existence probably for a lot of these kids. Uh, than it used to be for them in the old days when it was a little more social. Speaking of the not so young anymore, I guess we're going to switch gears to Eduardo Molinari. Um, He's 36 years old now, which I feel like he's been around forever, though. But this win could be an opportunity to revitalize his career. What has he gone through these past several years, and what can he do to stay relevant and get back in that winner's circle again? Well, it's funny. I saw his brother, Francesco, down at Augusta, and he was here playing there. And Eduardo was, you know, of course, in, uh, uh, not there at the Trophy Hassan to the following week. And he certainly has struggled. I think injuries had a big part of it. And, and he just lost his game. He just wasn't hitting the ball that well. He played so well that um, that Sunday in Morocco. It was just unbelievable to see it. He birdies uh, 17. And then the 18th hole at the Royal Dar Salaam at the Red Course here is a difficult hole, difficult finishing hole with an elevated green. And he hit a great second shot into there and drained out on about a 20-foot putt. And he was he, the way he pumped his fists and 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 did was just so uh, ecstatic and so fired up by that. But what really showed me a lot was how he kept his calm, kept within himself. Had a nice par on uh, the, the playoff hole, going back up 18, while Paul struggled a little bit to bogey and won that way. So I, that that I thought was good. Just time wasn't good enough for him. Wanted to get the win, and he got it. And I would expect him to feed off of that pretty well. I mean, you're right. You know, it seems like it's been ages since he won the U.S. Amateur, uh, uh, won down at uh, Marion, and since he and his brother played in that Ryder Cup team in 2010 at uh, Celtic Manor in Wales. It seems like a long, long time. When he uh, lost his European tour card, he had to uh, go through Q school to get it back. And uh, I think he's really, uh, you know, I plan to see him 
uh, build on this, and and he's a veteran player. He has been around for ages, and it wouldn't surprise me to see him uh, really take off now that he's uh, broken through again. Stani, one of the unique aspects of the Trophy Hassan is that for the past 23 years, the women have played an LET event down the road pretty much at the same time in the same city. How is that dynamic of kind of having two events going on at the same time? Well, I think it's fabulous, and it works very, very well. You know, they've done it for a few years. Uh, they did it for several years at Royal Dar es Salaam. So the blue course the women would play on, the men would play on the red course, and they're right next to each other. So it was at the same club and the same facility. They moved the tournament for a while down to Agadir, so they played in the same city but on different clubs and on different courses down there. The men playing on the Palace course in Agadir, which – goes without saying is um, is absolutely spectacular right on the water um, beautifully maintained and probably gets aside from the tournament maybe 20 rounds a year played on it at, at most and then the ladies have played a, a nearby golf club and the course is very good there but to see it there at the same club it reminds you a little bit of you know that Pinehurst scene you saw uh, in 2014 with the men and women's open only this time uh, they're playing two different courses at the same time and they make it work it works tremendously there's a pro-am on Tuesday for the ladies uh, with the lady pros there's a pro-am on Wednesday with the male pros for the uh, Hassan uh, the Hassan De. and it really um, there's a, there's a great atmosphere around it all week because uh, the amateurs are very happy getting to play two pro amps and getting to play with you know pros from two different tours. Uh, it's it's easy for people to get back and forth. There's a big enough facility there that it's very comfortable for the players and for the spectators, and it, it works out well and it's fun to see. Uh, and, 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 and King Hassan, who started this uh, the Hassan Two Trophy, this is its 44th plane, and then about. You know, 20 years, you know, 17 years after that or 20 years after that, he decided to uh, create a women's event named after his eldest daughter. And it's really highlighted women's golf in Europe. And uh, it's been a great thing to see in golf to have this both happening at the same place. And it's going to continue. I think the, uh, the the European tour guys and the uh, LET people are very happy with it. The heads of both of those groups are there. Uh, Keith Pelly uh, was down there for the weekend. Uh, they're very happy with that combination and want to keep it going. Yeah, that sounds like an awesome time in Morocco there. So you were at Augusta, you were in Morocco. The question I've been wanting to ask, where is your next trip? Where are you going? Well, I'm home for a couple of weeks, thank goodness, and try to get my body up again and uh, my uh, laundry done and everything else. But on, on uh, I'm heading to Sand Valley to check out the new uh, Cora Crenshaw course here at the new uh, Mike Kaiser-led uh, development. I that word maybe just the uh, golf development he's creating in the middle of Wisconsin on this incredible uh, uh, sandy dunes-like ground in the middle of this you know very inland state, uh, with the exception of course of those aspects of it that are on the uh, on the lake. And I had a chance to sp- uh, speak with Ben uh, Crenshaw about I was at Augusta, and, and Ben is thrilled to death with what they've created there. The soil is really sandy, and that's kind of the only kind of ground he and Bill Corr's partner want to work on. And, and Ben is really excited about what the course is all about. And uh, David Kidd is building the second course here. Six holes of that course are uh, completed already, so I'm going to get a chance to play those uh, six holes and, and also check out the Core Crenshaw uh, Beauty, which is open the week before Sand Valley. 
So that's the next trip. Um, very, very much looking forward to that. And then I'm going to stop by Inverness uh, Country Club in Toledo to, to check out that beautiful traditional Donald Ross course, which has just been renovated not too long ago and which has got one of the most impressive first team programs in America. And then from there, I'm off to Branson, Missouri, not to see a music show, but to see Big Cedar Lodge with uh, the Johnny Morris and his people. Fast Pro Shops have developed uh, three golf courses now. A third is just about to open up. They host a Champions Tour event there every year, and there's lots of hunting and fishing. There's some things you'd expect from an outfit affiliated with Bass Pro, but also there's some terrific golf. So that'll take me and keep me pretty busy in the month of May. And that Champions Tour event is this week, actually. They'll be, uh, they'll be in Missouri this week. John, we uh, certainly envy your travel schedule. Thank you so much for joining us, and uh, go ahead and get some rest. Great being with you guys as always. Thanks a lot. And Sean, let's jump right into the schedule this week. Uh, the PGA Tour is at the Valero Texas Open, which is being played at TPC San Antonio in Texas. The defending champion, Charlie Hoffman, who played so well at the Masters just a few weeks ago. We'll see if he can keep his form. And he is joined by Matt Kuchar, Bryson DeChambeau, Luke Donald, and many others join him in this 156-player field this week. So it should be a good one. Yeah, always a good event over at uh, TPC San Antonio. One of the tougher tracks on the PGA Tour, for sure. Over in China at the Shenzhen International, we're going to have a pretty solid field. Bubba Watson, Tommy Fleetwood, Cassie's Tommy Fleetwood, well, yes. uh, <laughs> Bern Wiesberger, uh, Paul Dunn, who we just re- referenced uh, before, having come second at the Trophy Hassan, and uh, Yost Loud and a few of the, the top players uh, in, the, in the field there uh, should be a good event. If we did a bingo, bango bongo for the European tour this week, you know for sure I'd be picking Tommy Fleetwood. Oh, you'd be all over Tommy Fleetwood for sure. Without without question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the PGA Tour champion had a tournament last week. They're playing again this week. It's the Legends of Golf at Big Cedar Lodge in Ridgedale, Missouri. They play two courses, the Top of the Rock and Buffalo River two-man team event the field is great too obviously jack nicholas and gary player always make an appearance so that's always you know entertaining and the interviews that come out of that are just great and fun to read other than golf i think it's a lot of hunting and fishing too i feel so i feel like that's a fun week for those guys yeah anytime bass pro shops sponsors your event you're going to get some cool gear and you're going to do some fishing for sure yep. Also, I think they have a uh, like a par three kind of course that they use as a driving range. That's really cool. I'm looking forward to that event for sure. That's so, awesome. oh yeah. So let's go right into Bingo Bango Bongo for the uh, RBC Heritage. Uh, I had Matt Fitzpatrick to win. He missed the cut. My sleeper was Jason Kokrak. He also missed the cut. And my player to miss the cut did miss the cut. So uh, I've said miss the cut uh, many times in a row now. And uh, that player was (laughs) Charlie Hoffman. (laughs) So Charlie Hoffman is kind of cooling off maybe a little bit after his his nice play at the Masters. But he will be going to San Antonio, like you said. And uh, he's probably one of the top players to to play well there, obviously having winning winning, uh, there last year. Yeah, and last week I had uh, Kevin Kistner as my player to win, and he finished T11, so not bad. My sleeper, Luke Donald, oh, I thought he was going to pull it off. So close. Oh, so close. He finished uh, tied for second, and then my player to miss the cut was Rafa Cabrera-Bayo, and he missed the cut. So, um, well, that was a good a week, for week for you. For, yeah, it wasn't a bad week for Cass. So, uh, wow. Yeah, 
yeah, I'll, I'll take that week. Yeah, that's um, uh, that's pretty good. Yeah, Luke Donald five times being a runner-up at Hilton Head. Never a bride, always a bridesmaid there. But yeah. we'll see yeah. next year, maybe next year. <laughs> but uh, let's jump right into Bingo Bango Bongo this week. Um, my winner for the Valero Texas Open is Jimmy Walker, mm. the a local 2015 champion. He has four top 25 finishes in his last seven starts. He was great at the Masters. So let's just see if he can continue to roll with that momentum heading into this week. Yeah, after he won the PGA Championship, I think people kind of expected him to maybe take a little bit of a, a step down. But I think he's uh, you know played fairly well, been pretty consistent this year. So I like that pick. I am going to take Kevin Chappell. He was T4 at TPC San Antonio last year. T2 back in 2011, six years ago, and uh, played really well at the Masters with top 10. I like him to uh, to play play well on another tough track in Texas. Yeah, very nice. Um, as a sleeper this week, I'm picking Sam Saunders. Mm. You know, um, he's making his debut at this tournament, but he's coming off a terrific form with three consecutive top 20 finishes. So, I mean, we'll see what he does here. Like, like I said, it's his debut, but. Um, again, more momentum like Jim, Jimmy Walker. So let's see if he can keep that going. I'm going to copy you. I'm going to go with Sam Saunders for my uh, for my sleeper as well. I really like him here. I uh, yeah, I can't complain. You stole all my points. Jeez, yeah. come on. Sorry, sorry, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> how about your miss? How about your miss uh, player to miss the cut this week? I'm going to go with Billy Horschel. Uh, I'm not really feeling it. He's missed three of his last six cuts. Uh, he missed the cut last week. Did not play well at all at Hilton Head. And, uh, you know, sometimes in Texas, when that wind gets up, you can really put up a high score if you're not really hitting the ball that well. And I'm going to take Billy to uh, to miss the cut this week. But he did just have his second child with his wife, Brittany, and I'm it, it, the kid's adorable. So <laughs> Congratulations maybe, maybe that to that. Has, yeah, maybe that has a little something to do with it. You know, he flew back. He was in Hilton Head. He flew back to where he's living. I believe he's in um, – where is he in? I think he's over by the Players Championship. He yeah, lives he's somewhere in over Bidra, there, isn't he? He's in yeah, Pana, somewhere up in that area. Yeah. yeah, maybe somewhere over there. And then he flew back to Hilton Head, so I could understand if he was a little bit tired last week. So understandable. Understandable. Um, my thought this week, I I'm going to go with Curtis Locke. Hmm. Yes, the former U.S. Amateur champion is making his professional debut this week. You may remember him from two weeks ago. He was one of two amateurs to make the cut at the Masters. At the Masters, I feel like you're just on cloud nine, and he's and he was, you know, he's coming and he was coming off a high and last week, two weeks ago. And I think the realization is going to set in for him this week and he won't make the cut. So sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but I, I just don't think Curtis Luck is going to make it this week. Yeah, sometimes we'll that see. pro debut is a little bit tough, you know, especially coming off, like you're saying, that adrenaline of the Masters and how well yeah. he uh, he played well, uh, played really well there. And uh, yeah, I, I have to agree with that. I think he probably will miss the cut this week. Yeah, sorry about that. But <laughs> on that note, um, that's all the time we have left on the postcast this week. Please follow us on social media, on all of our social media feeds, including Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just search Global Golf Post and you'll be able to find us. Also, if there's any topics you'd like to discuss, just tweet at us. Like I said, find Global Golf Post. And um, until next time, for Sean and I, hit him straight. See you later. <laughs>